Hi, this is Darren Dockerman, one half of the Inglorious Trexperts, and we just want to encourage you to not only listen to the Inglorious Trexperts, but also listen to our sister podcasts, the 430 Movie and The Rebel and the Rogue and The Best Movies Never Made. We have so much for you to listen to on the Electric Surge Network, so give it a listen. Welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. As always, I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, also as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How are you today, Steve? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks. Beautiful. Um, And today we have a fun topic, one of the more infamous movies that has been in development hell uh, forever, The Sandman, based on Neil Gaiman's very successful 90s comic series, and we have the perfect guests, I think, for it today. We have with us actress, writer, director, Bria Grant. That's me. And <laughs> author, producer, filmmaker, Mallory O'Meara. Yeah, me as well. And, and you guys... We're also podcasters. I was just going to say, yeah. and you guys and have your own podcast. Reading Glasses. <laughs> Tell us about Reading Glasses. Uh, it's a book podcast where we don't talk about books. Yeah, it's a book podcast. We talk about reading and uh, being readers, but we don't we don't do book clubs. That no. we kind of define ourselves by what we're not, which is what you're not supposed to do when you start a podcast. But it's worked <laughs> out okay. It's worked out pretty well for us. We mostly talk about like bookish culture, like what's the best library app to use, like book etiquette, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, maybe once you reintroduce yourselves and talk a little bit about people might know you from, so mm. people can figure out which voice is which. Oh here. yeah, this is that's we do sound a little bit alike. Uh, talk, I have a slightly southern. We both talk super fast. <laughs> I have a slight southern accent, um, and uh, I'm always slightly a little bit more confused. This is Bria. Um, <laughs> um, I swear more. That's yeah. how you can tell which yeah. one is. I have a Boston accent, and I swear more. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you might know me from your television, from shows like Heroes, Dexter, Friday Night Lights, movies like Halloween Two, uh, Beyond the Gates, which oh, yeah. someone on this. Oh uh, yes. <laughs> Someone here wrote. By, uh, <laughs> now that I think about it, you are now the uh, third cast member from Beyond the Gates. Wait, who else? Had. You had Graham and... We had Graham and Jesse. Oh, great. Well, Jesse, they're, they're, they're very wonderful. And um, Mallory? I, you know me from things that aren't on a screen. Uh, I produced the movie Yamasong, March of the Hollows, that came out this year. I am the author of The Lady from the Black Lagoon, the biography of the woman who designed the creature from the Black Lagoon, Millicent Patrick, that also came out this year. Uh, I'm a producer for Dark Dunes Productions. I have blue hair. There's a lot of people <laughs> comment on that on the internet. And yeah, if someone's swearing, it's probably me. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's just get into Sandman. Yeah. I guess I assume most people listening to this probably have some idea of who the character is. But it's one of those classic things. I feel like a lot of really hip comic books always seem to have the same backstory where they were a really old character that some up-and-coming writer was assigned or picked when given an open assignment to completely, really unfaithful adaptation and completely redesign into something cool uh, and that's exactly what the Sandman was I don't know if it was always a DC character or if one of the DC acquired the company that owned it I don't but he know. was kind of a classic sort of goofy character from the time of a guy who ran around with like a gun that 
I think, put people to sleep. Dream yeah. gun. Dream gun. <laughs> um, With that same mask, I believe. Yeah, and yeah. Neil Gaiman uh, was an up-and-coming writer, and someone at DC was like, hey, do you have any ideas? Or maybe they are even like, hey, do you want to do a new version of the Sandman. Uh, and he came up with really the most wild, unrelated version that still manages to very briefly, they touch on the original character. But no uh, dream gun. No dream, no gun. dream gun. What a disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that like, well, I guess let's talk about your guys' own relationship because I think for anyone who grew up in the 90s, uh, Mallory, I think part of the reason we had to have you on this is because you are now our go-to goth person. Ooh. I am cultivating my brand. The go-to Very nice. Uh, you can also hear Mallory on our Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian episode, <laughs> our Comic-Con uh, episode. But uh, obviously there's still goths, but I feel like goth really hit in the 90s where it was almost mm-hmm. bordering on, I don't know if you could ever call it a fad, but... Mm. It, it just seemed like it was everywhere. And, like, any movie written by some, like, old, out-of-touch, middle-aged person would always have their, yeah. like, representation of the teen was always some, like, angry goth kid. That's not when you know it's reached its pinnacle, when yes. you, like, see it on, like, you know, a, like a Saturday morning kind of, like, show or something like that. Like It, it really started getting started up in the late 80s, and it's interesting because that's when it hit the mainstream in the 90s when all the older people were like, what are all these kids doing? <laughs> or the 80s kids grew up and were actually creating culture. That oh both probably. is that possible? Like yeah. they, like they grew up and then they're like, remember goth? Remember when we were goth? Let's put that or on TV. we're still goth and now we're here <laughs> in power. Yeah, <laughs> it tech, bl- eyeliner technology has really mm-hmm. exploded. We are ready. We're here. Uh, yeah, so I think I mean Sandman is like the quintessential goth comic book. Besides maybe Hellboy. I was gonna say, well, I was gonna say this and the Crow mm-hmm. as someone who wasn't goth, like just in the culture. Those two well. I feel like I hadn't heard of The Crow, the comic, before the movie came out, no. but I was aware of the Sandman comic and those, and just like anybody I knew who didn't even matter if you were goth, anyone who was even slightly arty or kind of fringe culture was obsessed with Sandman. And I didn't read cool comics when I was younger, it really wasn't until my <laughs> 20s that I went back and read all the Alan Moore and uh, Neil Gaiman and just even Frank Miller stuff. I was pretty much boring Spider Man and Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Um, but this I was aware of that I felt like all the like cool kids who read like interesting stuff were just absolutely obsessed with it. And I assume you guys was did you read it when it was new or later in life? Like I me? think it was these kinds of comics were both of our entry point into comics. Mm, yeah, I mean I didn't get into comics until my twenties because generally girls of the nineties less likely to read comics. I think just in that era they weren't handed to you as much it was not no. as encouraged. So um, I just hit my microphone. Um, uh, yeah. So I think in the ninety, in the late, early two thousands is when I started reading comics, and that yeah, it was like this one, uh, the Invisibles. I was really into that one. I was just gonna bring up Grant Moore. It was like Gaiman and Morrison were yeah, really and like, making comics goth again. So these were very much yeah, these were my my gateway comic books for sure. Where I was like, this is what comics are. These are great. I thought that they had to read Spider Man. You know, <laughs> I had the exact same experience in my early twenties where I grew up and I was like, I don't. I still am not a big superhero person, and I was never interested. It was just like a bunch of dudes in tights. Okay, and like comics were like a very dude space for me, and I still don't like superheroes because there's no, they're never gonna die, so there's no dramatic tension. Although I guess it doesn't matter in Sandman, but already dead. Yeah, they're already dead. <laughs> uh, never were alive. I don't never, know. <laughs> yeah, somewhere in there. But so I was never interested until a friend of mine was like, "No, comics can be something different," and he bought me um, 
uh, We Three by Graham Morrison, the first volume of Sandman, and then I think Lock and Key by Joe Hill. Oh, yeah. I was like, I had the same experience. I was like, oh, comics can be cool. Mm. This, and that's where I, and I really, really got into Sandman. How about you, Steve? Oh, with Sandman or with yeah. comics? Um, Sandman, like, I guess I was saying earlier, I used to go to industrial clubs, so I always saw the... (laughs) the, the, Can you... Oh, my God. I used to love it. I'm painting fishnets on you and, Uh, like, a lot of eyeliner. Oh, boy. No, There's a whole Steve that none of us got (laughs) to know. No, uh, yeah, so I used to always wonder, like I was saying earlier, like, I always saw this character on T-shirts that looked like Alan Rickman, but, like, more goth. (laughs) And I was like, who is that? And they always said Sam Anson. I I, I was familiar with him, but I never, uh, to be honest, I never read it until this episode, so I'm a noob. (gasps) That's... so cool. Yeah, and it, it took me, it took me, I got it on Hoopla, and I think it was the wrong way to read it online. I should have bought the hardcover because mm. I but guess my- dis- for using your library. Yeah, I have yeah. the, op- the omnibus <laughs> that's mm-hmm. giant. Just a hundred pounds. Wait, did yeah. you read all of them? No, I only, I read through uh, up to the diner thing, which okay. disturbed the hell out of yeah, me. Yeah, that's I, And I think it was pretty amazing, to mm. be honest. Like, it really- left an impression on me but um no it took i had to read it the, the first one a couple of times because I, I i don't know if i was understanding it because i'd never read any it, it, no, it was really different happens very fast <laughs> mm-hmm. it just drops yeah. right into mm-hmm. it and it's very it is very surreal it is it's funny when i was comparing after i read the script i was comparing the the script to the comic and i was like somehow they made it it's still confusing, but they somehow made it more understandable because the comic, I was like, I can't, I'm not remembering this. This must be weird. Same. And I was reading it and I was like, no, it was this weird and surreal and confusing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> when I revisited it, it was, it is weird. Also, he does this thing where he goes through, like you meet other people that are not the Sandman for so many pages. You spend so much time mm-hmm. with people who are not him. Um, and so, or Dream or whatever. It's almost it. like a Stephen King kind of thing where I was like, let's just take a moment to learn the entire life story of the mailman. Uh, yeah, and then, and then you're like, here's the lady at the diner for 40 pages and now yeah. we know, and then you find out one thing about the story that's important. Which well, is it's funny to go back and read those after you kind of, because what the comic became is what you mostly think of it, but that original, the preludes and nocturnes, mm-hmm. or that initial story cycle, it feels very much in the DC universe. Like, they're yeah. superheroes. Like, yeah. Martian Manhunter is in it. Yeah. And, like, and Constantine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're kind of tapping into all of that kind of Swamp Thing universe characters. Yeah. And I think there's even, like, a... A cell where you see Batman. You do. Uh, you do. I actually forgotten all about all, okay. all of that. And I, then they very quickly drop all that. Yeah. And doesn't really interact with the yeah. greater DC universe. <laughs> but. Arkham Asylum's in there too. Oh, yeah. Arkham Asylum plays yeah. a big role too. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Um, but then, kind of now looping into the movies, we talk about the Crow. I think the fact mm-hmm. that the Crow was such a big hit, you have to imagine that studios were like, oh. Like, we can be making money off all these goths. Yeah. Uh, we got money. How yeah. did the crow, too, do? Because they made another crow, right? They it was made, huge like, yeah, that they weekend. Made a couple, actually, I think. Yeah. Made, yeah. And then Rob Zombie almost made one. Oh, wow. That's a future would, episode. And now they're rebooting it again, right? Yeah. yeah they tried yeah. Or they keep times. trying. Yeah. Oh, my God. They had Jason Momoa attached to it to be the crow. Oh, were you so excited about that? She loves Jason Momoa. I do. Just think about goth Jason Momoa. Yeah. That like, would, he's he's awesome. not kind of a little. Yeah, I was going to say, he's borderline I mean, goth. he's not that far off. Mm-hmm. Do you know All who you... they had before him? Bradley Cooper. Ooh. Yeah. I don't need that <laughs> I don't movie. See it. I don't, don't need that, that movie. Uh, you can look up online, there's concept art. That's like when you see <gasps> wow. like a 40-year-old dad at the goth club, and you're like, sir, what are you doing? <laughs> but it would be Bradley Cooper or like a lot younger. 
It wouldn't no, be it current only, Bradley Cooper. A couple of years ago. Oh, really? Oh, maybe okay. five years ago. <laughs> but Momoa, I, I like too. I, I'm a fan of his. I would oh, have, I would love it because it's yeah. just so... Because I, I, with reboots and remakes and stuff, I love seeing something that's so different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like w- Jason Momoa, the crow, would be like, I'm going to punch through this wall like the yeah. coolest. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ride a giant bat. Like it's going to be totally different. <laughs> <laughs> um. But so, yeah, Steve, I guess kind of tee us up for how the project initially gets going here. Yeah, I will bring us up to the script we're about yeah. to read. Um, you have a very good point about the crow thing. I didn't even think of that, to be honest. But, um, but yeah, we'll just start off with the first issue of Sandman appeared in comic book stores in December 1988. And 75 issues later, it ended in 1996. And that's where we kind of begin with all this production history. Uh, around 1995, Ted Elliott and Terry... Rocio, I believe. Thank you. <laughs> and they just come off of Aladdin, and they came on board to write this script. And this is from from their blog. This was from back in the 90s. They had a blog. And... Or Terry Rocio specifically did called, I think, Wordplay, where yes. most of the other writers of a certain age I knew were very obsessed with this website. Mm-hmm. He gave me a lot of free, great advice and kind of... Just telling it all inside behind the scenes, he'd be clearly like become. Yeah. I think because they'd already done Mask of Zorro and Shrek at this point, oh, wow. so I think they kind of well, had fuck both. off money. Oh yeah, so when they're like, whatever, I can just tell whatever stories <laughs> nice. I want. Yeah, it's a great. I mean, yeah, I still, I still go around it here and there. Just, you know, if you do, if you do searches, you you find some really cool Easter eggs in that site. But anyway, um, I got all this information off their site, so this is coming from them, and. Uh, we were happy. We were working on our dream project, literally. Everyone seemed to want to adhere as closely as possible to the comic. We were certain that we could convey the mood, intelligence, sensibilities, and brilliance of Neil's work. And then darkness fell. Producer John Peters got himself attached to the project. We took a meeting with him. We were unimpressed with his story sense. It took 20 minutes just to get across this idea. Sandman. The King of Dreams is captured. 20 minutes. (laughs) But we didn't let it bother us. We knew we were on the right track and the script would carry the day. Um, For people who don't know, John Peters, I think, is at this point almost best known for being a producer on Superman that Kevin Smith was working on the script for and was obsessed with having Superman fight a giant spider. Oh, yeah. Um, and all this is uh, documented in John Schnepp's movie, The Death of Superman Lives, another uh, yeah, quite absolutely. famous movie that never happened. There's a great interview with him in that movie. And then they end up using that spider in Wild Wild West. Yep. And... Also produced by John <laughs> Is Peters. that true? I didn't yeah. know that part. <laughs> he just he was determined to have a giant spider yeah. in the it's, movie. It's good to have a dream. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if I'm wrong. I might be wrong. Uh, but I believe he started off as a hairdresser yep. dating Barbara Streisand. He did. And, and then even he... then he was dreaming of big spiders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he got into producing and, yeah, became a huge producer. All right. And I so... would love it if he was constantly trying to convince Streisand to, like, turn her hair. <laughs> That's what I'm just imagining spider. in every situation. Like, they're, you know, moving in together. They're decorating the bedroom. <laughs> and he's like, I have an idea. <laughs> What if we take this big spider <laughs> my pitch. and put it over the bed? <laughs> I'm also right. told that he, when you would pitch him, he would just lie on his couch and stare at the ceiling with his fingers making the like little director, Smoking I'm looking at really? the size of yeah. a cork So he's just like a cartoon version of what a producer is. <laughs> a big is. tie. Yeah. Well, the, the best part of his involvement in the death of Superman Lives Doc is that all these people are telling ridiculous stories about him and then they keep cutting back to him just like, 
shamelessly confirming it all. He's okay. not even like arguing. <laughs> like people are like, yeah, he would come to the office and he would like wrestle the storyboard artist in the hallway, and then he'd cut to him and be like, yeah, I think it uh, it's you know. Builds camaraderie. <laughs> you know, a lot of uh, <laughs> juices flowing. I kind of love this guy. A giant cigar That's what I mean, the size of a cool bills. Yeah. bob of corn. <laughs> He's just like, hey. But uh, he did produce Tim Burton's Batman, and he did yeah. fight Tim Burton on the dark angle of it. And Burton won, and then the movie became this huge hit. So, oh, wow. So he, he did not want it to be dark. No, not at all. Oh, my God. And so, so he apparently he also doesn't learn lessons it? about not yeah. listening to his own instincts. But is that so. when he was like, ooh, maybe the goth thing is yeah. kind of... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could <laughs> be a moneymaker. All right. So let's see. Oh, yeah. So they finished a first draft, and Warner Brothers had issues with it. And they were the writers were told by a junior-level exec that the script was so bad it was undeliverable. But they were in contact with Neil Gaiman, and, and he loved it. He liked it. Ah. So they had his approval over it. And they said one of the reasons they suspected that their first draft was undeliverable was because Peter's Productions wanted us off the project because we didn't incorporate his single off-the-cuff and incredibly lame suggestion that... To put a, a bu- giant spider in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, close. Uh, he wanted a bunch of teenagers at a slumber party holding a seance, they're the ones that capture dream. That's stupid. Wait, what? Um, I mean, if it was that easy, I would have captured him. I would have done that in my teenage years. They'd be the endless running around all over the place. (laughs) It's just, I can imagine having this meeting too, where he's like, why can't it be a bunch of teenagers? And they're like, well, because in the story, it's this like super powerful Aleister Crowley-like guy who has the ability to keep him prisoner how would a bunch of slumber party kids keep him prisoner for decades yeah although i am interested in the craft sandman crossover that yeah, happened okay, here okay. Oh, yeah, i would also go. like if a bunch of like teenage girls in the 20s were having a slumber party and he was just prisoner in this random house <laughs> for like a century and this each... woman's boarding house yeah it's like so oh, why, why is this house you're selling come with it's such a low price well <laughs> yeah. the house we've renovated most of it but there's this uh weird godlike yeah, creature whatever you do trapped don't, in the don't basement. break that circle, yeah, don't okay? break the circle. <laughs> it's really important yeah we, but we did put a jacuzzi next to yeah. the circle. So. Wow, Mallory nailed it. You're right. That's when the craft came out, right? Around the same time, 95, yeah. 96. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Goths everywhere. Oh, yeah. And, and so in 96 now, Roger Avery, who just won an Oscar for Pulp Fiction a year earlier, Warner really wanted him to do a project, and they gave him a stack of scripts to read. And Sandman was one of them. And Warner hadn't realized they sent it to him and told him the script was terrible and they were going to start over from scratch with new writers. And Avery told them, in his words, they were throwing out a diamond and insisted that this, mo- that this is the movie he wanted to make. And so suddenly they said our script was deliverable and it was also on the fast track with the director attached. And so Avery saw one more draft of the script with Elliot and Rossio. And then Elliot and Rossio left to make Mascazaro and Shrek and Pirates of the Caribbean. So, so they're doing okay. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're right, they're we're not right. shedding any tears. No. So. Yeah, <laughs> I think if you make Pirates of the Caribbean alone, you can probably buy yes. me. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. A living human. That franchise, right? <laughs> and so now that leads us to this draft, which is July 10th, 1996, which is the Elliot, Rossio, and Roger Avery draft. So let's say, uh, looping back to our Godzilla 3D episode we did 
uh, earlier in the year. Elliot and Rocio also had a Godzilla version Ooh. right yeah. around this same time. John DeBont. Yeah, right. Ryan DeBont was going to do it, and we won't even get too far into it. Maybe yeah. we'll do that. Okay. Save it for a future episode. Yeah. Yeah. It. It, was, it was pretty cool, actually. I, mean, I guess before we yeah. launch into anyway. the script, like just as fans of the comic all these years, is a movie something you, like, you're like, oh, that'd be cool, or do you think it's the kind of thing that can't work as a movie? Not a movie. I would, like, as I was reading this whole thing, and I've always thought that this would make a good, like, Netflix, Netflix limited series. I feel like this is, it's such an ambitious, weird story that cramming it all in into one feature feels a little claustrophobic to me. I think you definitely could, and now that the limited series is a thing. Yeah. I would say when I first started acting, I was a fan, and I was like, oh, God, I just hope they make Sandman so I can have the the ability to audition for death. Like, that was, like, you know, <laughs> like, my goal as, like, a 20-something actress. Because, but because I, I do think the first book sort of lends itself to, like, a screenplay. In some ways, you know, it's like he has to get three things. By the end, he has to get those three things. It's to very be, like, clear structure. Yeah, yeah. The structure, like, makes sense to me. But now that limited series exists. Yeah. Sure, I take I take eight episodes of a Sandman. Well, you good news though you do get to live I, out your dream I today. I get to live out my dream today. You Here get to I play am. Death today. Guys, and we you read really random scenes. Made a girl's dreams come true. Well, because I feel like the because it is it, when you think about it, it is a really simple story. It's like this guy needs to get stuff back. Like, but be, him getting the stuff back lead like it's so leading to something mm-hmm. else that I feel like there's just more to it. Like it, if it ends like oh he got the stuff back, great. <laughs> <laughs> I would also say, like, it feels like it could have been a Lord of the Rings situation where he gets the first thing back and then it's just oh. got away from the next movie, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, that's what a you, really what good you, idea. What do the, what the screenplay writers think? What um, well, I think uh, I think Elliot and Rocio are very good writers just as mm-hmm. far as how they approach the craft. Like, it makes sense how they keep doing these huge movies that people actually like. They got like, something going on. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. they know how to tell a mass appeal story that isn't totally stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, but... They took so for people who know the comics, the script that we're about to go through is basically a combo of the first two story arcs from the comics, which was Preludes and Nocturnes, the one where he's getting all his stuff back, and then the Doll's House, which one of the like, I guess it's not technically a demon, but one of the weird dream creatures, nightmares that he created, uh, escaped in his absence, and he kind of has to like hunt him down. So they sort of mushed both of those together into one story in a way that i actually think is really brilliant because like before when i was just reading the comics comics i would have thought like oh well you'll do this volume as like this many episodes this volume is this many episodes but mushing them together i actually think they did a really good job hmm. i think especially making such a bonkers story mm-hmm. actually feel like digestible mm-hmm. yes because uh, i think one of my favorite things about gaming but it also is what makes him probably not super accessible is the way he just will like reference things either real like real as far as existing mythology or his own made-up stuff but in that way where it, like it just feels like ancient literature or he doesn't even go into much explanation for it but as you noted that can also get a little confusing if he's yeah. doing it too many times in a row it sometimes mm. feels like you missed something like you'll be reading the comic and you're like wait i need, I need to go back and reread something because i feel like i missed and you're like nope that's just him dropping things in there and <laughs> that's just how it is well he'll like just drop in the concept of the endless the like race that sandman is part of and you're kind of like is that a thing? Should I know what yeah, that right, is? Right, right. Is this like the equivalent to him like referencing the Greek gods? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like, no, he made all that up, but he was just kind of like, yeah, just toss that off. Because this. am I wrong? 
remember in the first, I just reread it and now I can't remember. Do they introduce all of the endless in the first, like in the first trade? They, that's the thing. They just offhandedly they reference about them, it, but they don't. And show then we them never all. get to see any of them yeah. except death for a pretty long time. Yeah, yeah. not a long while. time, but like yeah, compared yeah. to the movie, the movie, the movie brings them all in. And yeah, I, I really, I actually wish there was yeah. more of it. Yeah, I, I love the endless. I liked that part too. Yeah, because it was like, look, all these people are related. Here's the deal. It sets mm. up the world really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, just, let's get into okay, it. Okay, okay. Right. Um, so the script begins, much like the comic, in 1929. I'll just read the very, very opening here. Fade in, exterior churchyard, night. Extremely close on, a word carved in stone. Dream is the word. Uh, pull back to reveal the fullest inscription. Dream is but a dream. It is carved on a large obelisk grave marker. Beneath the inscription is a name. Thibault and dates 1861 through 1917. Pull further back. Perched on the marker is a stone effigy of an angel of death, wings spread wide, half smile on her face. And further back, as two loops of heavy chain are wrapped around the marker, we'll hear a lashing of a whip and the neighing of a team of horses, and the chain suddenly tightens and the marker is slowly ripped from the earth. Begin credits. Bam, bam, bam. Um, so this stone marker that was pulled down is brought to the home of Roderick Burgess, uh, also a character from the comics who is fictional, but is basically Alistair Crowley. I think in the comics, he, or even in this, I think he references yeah. Alistair Crowley. Crowley. Uh, and he's had a vicar brought him this from a churchyard, and they break it open, and inside is something called the Magdalene Grimoire, which holds the spell they need to imprison death. Um, and I've always loved this has just kept a weird setup for this whole series and they keep it for the movie where they're going to raise, they're going to capture death and they just screw up and capture something else yeah. instead. And that's how Sandman gets imprisoned. Um, Which, is that like offensive to, 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 to <laughs> Sandman where he's like, they didn't want to capture you at all in yeah. the first place. Yeah. It's, imagine yeah. sitting there for 70 years like, oh man, <laughs> Wait, this I'm is... not even supposed to be here yeah, today. It's just like clerks. Um, <laughs> they're very similar films. <laughs> um, but I like it right off the bat. They're kind of weaving in through the dialogue to kind of, explain Gaiman's own view of uh, these deities, although but they're not deities that explain here. As the person says, you can capture the angel of death, and Burgess notes, death isn't an angel. She's one of the endless who existed long before angels. They are not gods. Gods come and go as people imagine and forget them. The endless are true to all men and women, which I think is just kind of a cool concept mm. for these Beings, it is, but the only this is the problem I have. I, I love this opening, but it is extremely info dumpy. Like it's like, what is what is the the robots like? As you know, Bob's like it's yeah. very much like. <laughs> well, you know, and here's and he brings like a, out a PowerPoint with a little laser pointer and explains all of the end. Well, you see, yeah, it's extremely info dumpy. Um. I mean, the interesting, we'll keep getting into it, but uh, I was kind of surprised when I read the script that they did keep the, the structure from the comics. I'm glad. It would have been cool, but I can see why initially before a hip director said the script was good, the executives were just like, this is unfilmable. Yeah. No one will watch this movie. Especially if they weren't familiar with the comics or they were just, yeah. if they were just reading it, they'd be like, why would we start this way? Yeah, why is there like 30 minutes of stuff? Yeah, of like, of like literally going? the main character doesn't speak. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, they go through this ceremony. They uh, don't capture death. They accidentally capture something else. I'll just read this little snip. There's a flash and a black cloaked figure falls from the shadows that veil the arched ceiling in darkness. 
Yeah, it falls to the stone floor with the force of a human body. It lies splayed on the floor in the center of the circle. Its head and face are covered by a helm that looks like the skull of some dead ancient god, which it is. The body is caped in fabric so black it seems to draw light from the room. A large, vibrant, heart-shaped ruby adorns his chest. A small leather pouch hangs from one hand. The acolytes are hushed, amazed. We did it! I don't believe it. We did, but then Burgess cuts the most. No, we failed. This isn't death. Damn it to hell. We've captured the wrong one. Um, but he's it's like, actually e- just Bradley Cooper. Ah, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, we captured Bradley Cooper. <laughs> but then they're like, oh, let's keep on. Yeah. Oh, he can speak French. He's so charming. Um, but then they strip him of you know all his crazy stuff he's wearing and leave him trapped in the circle. Uh, and they establish the idea that you do not break that circle, no matter what. Right. Um, and I like there's a little motif they do in the movie here where um, we see a drop of water hit the floor and we'll, we'll return to that yeah. drop of water. I do yeah. like, like, I feel like it's such a, it's, it is a well-constructed script. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I like it's, I don't know that this would have been a big blockbuster, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I would have loved it. Yeah, no, um, yeah, it's too weird. But then we get a montage summing up everything that happened in the world from 1929 to 1944, and that's kind of the structure here of this opening is that mm-hmm. we are drifting through time. They are going as fast as they can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for a lot of uh, weird ground to cover, they are covering it at covering it at quite a clip. Uh, and Burgess. Uh, Basically, he he keeps visiting Sandman because he wants Sandman to grant him eternal life and give him powers, but Sandman just sits there silently. They establish that in 15 years, Sandman hasn't said one thing. He's just sitting there looking real grumpy and goth. <laughs> uh, we meet Burgess's son, Alex, uh, who has figured out that they didn't capture death. They captured Dream, Morpheus, Lord Shaper, the Prince of Stories, the Sandman. Uh, unsurprisingly, to, I'm sure... For the benefit of the audience, they call him Sandman a lot more in the movie than they do in the comics, which is almost never. Yeah. Which is what confused me when I was younger about the comics, just like picking up a random thing. I was just like, I don't even understand. (laughs) Why is he called the Sandman? Everybody just calls him Morpheus. Um, And now it's been long enough since The Matrix. I feel like right after The Matrix, it would have been weird to make a movie about a guy named Morpheus. Now yeah. it's all the rage. Yeah, <laughs> and that's another gothy kind of movie. Yeah, right. Nineties like that movie because they all wear black cloaks or something. It's like industrial goth. Okay. Yeah, I really... mean, Steve, did you yeah. like it? Oh yeah. <laughs> Keanu, the soundtrack. Keanu, uh, he was wearing a leather trench coat to that movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Matrix age Keanu would have made a pretty good Sandman. Sandman. He would have. You know would what? Be perfect. I'd still watch him as Sandman. Yeah, that's I'd true. Still, say, still stand by Keanu as a Sandman. He hasn't, he hasn't aged that much. No, He's still he looking good. True. Fun fact: Keanu is one of the endless he, yeah that's right he's, <laughs> it, it's just destruction despair desire Keanu Reeves <laughs> um, so then we get a, oh, we get another shot of the drop of the water and basically you can see where it's going mm-hmm. the, the, after enough time this drop of water is going to have like etched a little path on the floor leading towards the circle we cannot break uh, then we get a montage from 1949 to 1964 Burgess is now 60 um, he brings in like this hippie chick, Rachel. Yeah, uh, boy, the portrayals of women in this movie are <laughs> bimboy. Is this the woman that? What is it? Radiate sexual heat, or is yes. it the next? Oh yes. 
Well, and you're forgetting uh, the moment he introduces her to uh, Sandman's little pouch yeah, of sand, she which he basically uses like, as a sex toy. Yes, mm. he's like, you know, you can do whatever you want, eat it, mm-hmm. sniff it, rub it in your gums, and she's like, no. When people offer me things, I yeah. immediately put them in my crotch. <laughs> she, uh, she puts it on her finger and sticks her hand down her pants. Yeah, uh, yeah. and then slips into uh, rapturous bliss. That's uh, how she powers her magical sexual heat uh-huh. that she's radiating. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, Alex is mad at his dad because his dad. Uh, oh, I skipped over part. So, because Sandman like won't talk to him, and Burgess was like, "I want you to grant me eternal life." Uh, he takes the helm, and the, kind of the end of that segment of the montage is like, "We're gonna make a deal with a demon." That I like that that just happens off camera. We'll let you know how bonkers this movie is. <laughs> they felt that was the kind of thing. I'm like, like that, that doesn't need to see that. That's just wasting time. Yeah. <laughs> Bartering with a demon to extend your life. Um, but at the end of this. Alex steals the ruby and the magic pouch and runs off with Rachel because she's now addicted to the uh, sand. Yeah. Um, we see the drop of water move forward again. Now we have montage 1964 to 1988. And uh, now we have our first scene to read, uh, which Bria will be playing. Well, I'll just get in. I'll play Burgess in this scene. Great. Um, Interior Burgess Manor, cellar, 1988, night. Burgess leans heavily on a cane. He is now a withered, fragile old man. He stares at Sandman, who stares back. Suddenly, Burgess is racked by a violent coughing attack. He gets himself under control by swallowing some nitroglycerin tablets. You! It's your fault! Damn you! You are death, but you live forever. You haven't aged a day since I caught you. You could have given me power beyond my wildest dreams. <laughs> I, I don't have to get so old. I shouldn't have had to get so old. Uh, he has another violent attack, coughing. He slips to one knee. That wasn't so bad now, was it? <sighs> another person is in the cellar. She looks about 19, long black hair, pale skin, and kind of groovy, perky neopunk girl next door, dressed in black <laughs> jeans and a camisole? What is that? Camisole. Camisole? What is that up. for people like me? Just who a don't tank know. top. Tank top. Why did they just say tank top? <laughs> um, and Ankh, the Egyptian symbol for life, hangs around her neck. She looks genuinely concerned for Burgess, and we recognize her face. It was the face of the angel of death on the grave marker. Who are you? She gestures. He looks down and sees his own body lying on the ground near his feet, dead. Are you... You aren't death, are you? Death smiles. Half shrugs. She knows she's not what he expected. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to catch you once. Got him instead. I know. You've disarrayed the dreaming and the waking world, too. It's been a bad period. Armies have clashed and millions have died because of disordered dreams. Am I... Are you going to punish me? Am I bound for hell? I'm just here to take you from this world to the next. Destinations are up to you. Oh, I am, I'm going to hell. I'm Roderick Burgess, the most wicked man alive. <laughs> Not anymore. She takes Burgess's hand, looks up at Sandman. Brother. Do you have any idea how worried I've been about you? I searched and searched, but not a single death led me to you. And now here to find you captured by a mortal kind charlatan. I resent that. Your realm is in ruin. Without dream, the world is a disarrayed mess. If I could break the circle spell over you, I would. Which it seems like just, this is Bria, side note. Um, (laughs) Seems like she could, but okay. Um, (laughs) There's rules. (laughs) But there's nothing I can do. You must escape, somehow. Or there'll be no more death in the world. And believe me, I'm stretched thin as it is. 
She and Burgess fade into the shadows. We hear a soft fluttering sound, like wings. She's gone. Just Burgess' body on the floor and Sandman watching. The water still drips. The pool in the corner of the room is quite deep now. Mm. Bah, bah, bah. Uh, then we get another montage from 1988 up to the present. This which, poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which was 1966, is now our, our present. Um, in this scene, we finally see the drop of water breaks the circle. Sandman is free. His first words are, at last. Um, <laughs> that he immediately slips off to the fringes of the dream realm, which is described. So this now becomes another running motif. Uh, when one travels from the material plane into the dream realm, one passes through a strange nightmare that's a loose... A lucid cross between the visions of Dave McKean, who for Sandman fans, and that was the guy who drew, drew every issue, or even drew, it was kind of crazy collages and Yeah, like it's like mixed media and, stuff. Yeah. He, still, he, he did almost all of the covers, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. for Sandman, mm-hmm. for its entire run. Uh, it's a cross between Dave McKean and Jan Svankmeyer, for people who don't know, he was a Czech filmmaker who was particularly known for like really effed up, crazy looking animation and stuff. So basically whenever, it's funny because it's almost like, it's an, like we all see in Happiness of the Katakaris. No. Do you know what that is? No. Uh, <laughs> do you, have you yeah, seen it? Like it's a, uh, why am I brain farting? Takashi Mika? Yeah, uh, movie. Uh. And they have this funny thing that I don't know if he did it to save money or just to be crazy, but whenever there's like a big action scene, it just slips into this demented stop motion. It's a live action movie. <laughs> oh, wow. But in this, whenever Sandman, I like that he's traveling between realms, it turns into like puppets. It. I'm into but, like, it. And I feel creepy like it sticks puppets. with the like. Yeah. I feel like it sticks with sort of like the original intent of Sandman. And, and I think it was an attempt to capture what the covers felt mm-hmm. like. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, this is definitely people who don't like Sandman are probably not going to go see this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's not like so. The family is not seeing the Sandman trailer Saturday night and thinking, mm, "Let's go next weekend." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the the Jan, I can't say his last Jan. name. Yeah, Jan. Um, his movies were all over like the art theaters at this time, and he had this one particular movie called Alice, which I believe is his Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, yeah. and so that's what actually he was showing Warner Brothers when he gave them this draft, and Warner Brothers was like, "Oh my god, he's showing <laughs> yeah, them that." What a brave man! Yeah. The, the, the executives were like, "Excuse me," yeah. like like they're, um, that, that's yeah. a mistake Wait, I learned Aladdin? early on is that I would always be like, "It'll be like." Blank, and you insert some cult <laughs> movie that failed yeah. at the box office. Yeah. You can always see the execs be, It'd be like, like this yeah. weird, unsuccessful thing yeah. that wasted money. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, also a cross between the the trippy scenes from Rosemary's Baby. He showed them. Well, at least that oh, movie yeah. was a hit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but combining both of them was. I kind of like to imagine it's like one of those '60s like super superhero cartoons where like the the theme song 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 starts playing and it gets all swirly and then they go uh, into the next yeah. scene. Yeah, <laughs> when they go into the dream world. Oh, yeah. yeah, like those old black. Yeah. Sabbath videos. They have that oh, crazy yeah. thing behind them when they're playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. but yeah, so Sandman is now returning to his realm for the first time in uh, how many pages? Uh, actually, it's only 18. Only 18 pages. Yeah, for That's all the lots. things they needed to cover, I feel like they're doing okay. Yeah, that was a, that yeah. was a lot of time and stuff going on there. Um, and this is our, we'll read this first bit of Sandman talking here, but uh, let's see. So the fringes of the dream realm. When one travels from the material plane into the dream realm. Oh, that's already read that. That's the Svankmeyer thing. Uh, so let's just hear this little uh, line from Sandman here. Beyond, outside my dream realm, there is infinite dark. You know I was going to do a dumb voice. I like it. I like the voice. <laughs> I'm into it. Yet the dream realm itself is infinite, although it is bounded on every side. The way to the center is a slow spiral. One passes the houses of mystery and secrets. 
old way stations on the frontiers of nightmare. I just always imagine Sandman as the guy who talks a little too slow. Yeah, slightly slow. And you're yeah. just like, <laughs> yeah, not exactly like uh, like executive like. That's what now. I was just just um, like <laughs> the reason I highlighted that line. I was like, this is really the first thing other than at last that we hear him say, <laughs> and it's just this like bizarre. And that's how all of his dialogue yeah. was just very funny. It's like weirdly a little too informative and a little too stiff. You're just kind of like, oh, okay, dude. Yeah, he's super stiff. He's like just like that one weird guy at the party. Mm. Yes, yeah, I'm imagining Keanu in like Much Ado About Nothing where he's just like a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, what's going on, dude? Hey. <laughs> yeah, he's that one weird guy at the party who's like talking about something that nobody cares about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, okay, yeah, I gotta go like to the bathroom. Existential and you're like, I, I got it. Listen, it's like an afternoon party. It's should we this at a barbecue. Yeah, I can't handle your existential crisis. Uh... I had a meeting at Showtime many years ago. It's sitting in the like you know waiting room lobby, and they just have like a TV showing stuff. Uh, and Keanu Reeves was also waiting. Wow! And they were showing some like documentary about penguins. And just at some point, he <laughs> leaves over and he's like, "This is crazy." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh my god, Keanu's trying to connect I mean, with me about say, this yeah, weird, it is. yeah." But this weird, pe- I think I then dropped some pointless penguin fact oh, I knew you. as well. I was like, nice. oh. wow. and, and you're like, like hey, will you read my script? Yeah. <laughs> like, I bet he st- uses that penguin fact at parties now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. if anyone would, he would. Yeah. And then I was like, can I touch your face? And then it got me. <laughs> you're like, anything you want, Keanu. Yeah. <laughs> he sat in front of me when I saw Waiting for Guffman at the New Art. That's my one Keanu Reeves story. Wow. Guys, I have yeah. one to anyone here. I was yes. when I waited I tables. Like 12 years ago, I waited tables. And, or I didn't wait tables. I was in charge of to-go food at Real Food Daily. And he came in one day and he uh, was like, I'm here to pick up my to-go food. And I was like, what's the last name? Because I was like, Starstruck. <laughs> and he was like, Reeves. And I was like, what's the first name? Because <laughs> you have to ask. But obviously, his I knew what his name was. might have ordered it for And him. he was like, Keanu. And I was like, cool. And I was very embarrassed. <laughs> well, someone might have he's called nice it buddy. in. Like, I order Postmates all the time, and my mm-hmm. boyfriend goes outside to pick it up. Like, he's clearly not Mallory O'Mara. Yeah, but here's the thing. I think I'd, <laughs> his name was right there. It was on the oh, to-go food. I packed. Oh. I packed the food, and then I saw him. Oh, still you knew he was coming in. I don't know. I was nervous. <laughs> I, did, I wasn't paying attention. I was nervous. That's awesome. Nude, Why don't nude you to you have a Keanu story? I don't, I, maybe I haven't lived in it. I've only lived in L.A. for three and a half years. Uh, all right. Okay. Soon you, you will have a Keanu story. I'm going to walk out here, and he's going to be the one who took two parking spaces in the parking lot. <laughs> He's like, that's how Keanu parks. <laughs> no, I think he would be nicer yeah, than that. Yeah, it's true. He would give up his spot. He really would. He's a national treasure. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, so Sam has returned and he finds his like big crazy palace is decaying um, and he meets... Uh, some old friends, Lucian, his librarian. Um, I like that he has a librarian. Yes, good. And um, a good name. Incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Matthew, who is another character from the like Swamp Thing universe, who by the time gaming was doing these comics had been turned into a raven. Oh, and the way we know him here. I didn't put that together. That's cool. Um, so there is two buddies, and they're basically like hipping him to the fact that it's like, yo, your whole kingdom is in Exploded since yeah. you've been gone, yeah. uh, and the world's kind of falling into disarray. Because I think the idea with the endless is, I like the way they, he puts it, is that like gods are adhere to people's specific beliefs, and the endless make up things that are just universally true, which is really cool. And yeah. they adhere to time, yeah. Like they experience time like humans, which I kind of like as well. It's not like mm-hmm. it's like it's slower or faster. Yeah, for them. he was really trapped down there mm-hmm. for decades, and the world got screwed up because of it. Um, <laughs> 
And he's basically noting that he doesn't have the power to fix it because uh, I placed too much po- too much of myself in my tools, meaning his helm, ruby, and uh, pouch of sand, which today my writing partner and I were talking about it, and he was just like, what was that about? And I was kind of theorizing that Gaiman intended that it was like Sandman kind of got lazy over the years, yeah. and he created these tools to help make his job Easier, so Which, then when relatable. He, yeah, I feel like it's a metaphor. You know, it's a metaphor for like us, like you know, putting too much stock in like one thing of yeah. our life. Maybe well, that's yeah, just like I, I read too much into it. Maybe no, to... no, that sounds. I mean, if literally his tools, like, don't we all put too much of ourselves into mm-hmm. our jobs? Well, I do all my writing on Google Docs now, so when my internet goes mm-hmm. out, I just like stare at my computer as though <laughs> there aren't like <laughs> word. Perfect. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, like no, like, same, but it's same. like I you're like, well, well, might as well quit. I'm gonna go see a movie. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> the, the universe commanded me not to work today. <laughs> um, so, and this is like we were saying. This kind of sets off the nice format of the movie. Is that he's like, I gotta go get all my shit back, uh, and but he doesn't really know where they are. Oh, and we also set up at the same time. Um, that uh, one of the night kind, I like that mm-hmm. word, is uh, the Corinthian, um, who one of my favorite visual characters from the comics, the guy who has like mouths for eyeballs. Oh, so scary. Um, very Ooh, gross. I also want to say this script is extremely Barkery. Like this mm-hmm. script is like marinated in Nightbreed and Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. I think they even <laughs> use the word Nightbreed to refer to the night kind at yeah. some point. Yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> this, this, um, like the Corinthian is such a Cenobite to me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, I think there's even a lie where at some point it's not they, quite they, the angels what, to some, demons to others, but I it's basically like, it's Hellraiser. The same yeah. thing. Yeah, it's like nightmares to some, dreams to others. Mm. Yes, it was extreme. Like, like that's just the aesthetic that I got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so his thing that now Sandman's updated on is he escaped to the waking world, and then they note he has inspired a inspired a whole new breed of mortals whose kind were weak from broken dreams, uh, implying that kind of a hint at. Uh, the idea that while Sandman was imprisoned, people there's like a rise in sleep disorders, and there's just lots of people who are negatively impacted by not being able to dream properly. Which I feel like the comic kind of captured a bit better than that, the, that's yeah. the one Rips. thing that I think the comic because they have a whole montage, and I get that they you can see it. They already they spent 18 pages; they can only do so much. But you right. see the way that people who can't dream or but they also kind of acted like the unrest of like the 60s or something had to do with this as well in the script right yeah. that it's like mm-hmm. oh things went bad in the world because of this which i feel like the comic did not imply yeah Am it, I wrong? it felt in the comic it felt more person specific yeah. as opposed to like an epidemic where in the like I a feel cultural like, problem yes. or something um and oh so these people who are weak from broken dreams uh, that have been. I think the idea is that the Corinthian was created by Sandman to basically fuel people's nightmares, right. and then left unchecked. And now he's like really fueling them in a different way. His eyes are eating uh, all sorts of stuff. And these people yeah. <laughs> just, just snacking on granola. <laughs> his eyes have been eating things he shouldn't be. Eating. He's just getting lazy, stuffing <laughs> flaming hot Cheetos <laughs> yeah, into yeah, his that would be, eyes. That would. Oh, that's so <laughs> gross. Um, <laughs> Man, I'm squirting cheese twists directly into his skull. <laughs> but these people, they call themselves collectors, though the mortals know them as serial killers. Right. So the basic idea, of, especially for anybody who watches Mind Hunters, knows mm. that uh, even though really there's been serial killers for 
ever. Right. But we've only started like really paying attention to them uh, in like the late 60s. Mm-hmm. So this I, movie is saying that the Corinthian created serial killers. I do yeah. like the idea that like they call themselves the collectors, but everyone else is like, you're just you're a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's calm down. Let's, <laughs> you're not as fancy as you seem to be, Mr. Collector. <laughs> yeah, this was a very heavy serial killer. Like you just had Silence of the Lambs, Copycat with... Harry Chronic Jr. and Seven, so I guess this was. By the way, perfect. I just rewatched Copycat, not to get distracted. That movie's insane. Yeah. I haven't seen it since the theater, to be honest. Uh, I don't know I've if never it seen holds it. up exactly, <laughs> but if you but. want to see Harry Chronic Jr. with like chipped teeth and doing a really insane <laughs> accent playing well, a serial killer, I, I was just yeah. Gonna say, yeah, sounds pretty good. And to he has me. lots of like little fake zits, if I recall correctly. There was like another no, serial killer, Michael Perry, Michael Perrier, Michael that dude. I forgot. Anyway. All right. 90s huge serial um, killer. Well, actually, I see we're running kind of long, and I don't want to. This is such a dense script. There's so okay, much going sure. on. Yeah, here. I don't want to. I don't want to skim over anything. So I'm gonna get into this next part, and then we'll actually uh, stop, and then start a new episode wow. to complete the oh, rest wow. of the script. Okay. Um, but so I'll leave this on a bit of a cliffhanger. Then so. We meet our next real important character, who is a human named Rose Walker. We have kind of a Nightmare on Elm Street, Dream Warrior sort of scenario. There's a group of college kids who are partaking in paid sleep studies uh, who all have sleep issues. Hers in particular is she does not dream at all. Yeah. Um, And there's like a doctor who chases after her, like wanting to do more studies on her. Uh, And she's just like, whatever, I don't care. When I sleep, it's like I'm stuck inside a big black hole, swirling and swirling, no images, nothing, just emptiness and black bags under my eyes when I wake up. Uh, And we also learn that she doesn't know why she's like that. And her past is maybe a little bit mysterious. Um, And then we also learn that her friends are planning a surprise birthday party for her. Oh, yeah, because she doesn't know when her birthday is. Yeah. And we don't know why. It was Uh, cute. And dun-dun-dun, cliffhanger. Um, Thanks to Bria and Mallory for coming. And we'll see you guys again in two weeks. Um, You can find us, or I guess let's tee you guys up where they can find you on social media and the podcast and so forth. Just my name, Bria Grant, and the podcast is on iTunes. It's called Reading Glasses. Yes. You can also go to the Maximum Fun blog, and you can listen to it there. And same with my name. We're pretty easy to find yeah. on the internet. We, Mallory O'Meara or Bria Grant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what about Lady from the Black Lagoon? You can buy it everywhere. Uh, IndieBound, local bookstores. I just found out you can buy it in the Natural History Museum of L.A., which is wow. very cool. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, Amazon, all over the place. It's on audio. I read the audiobook. So if you're a podcast person and like listening to things, you can check that out. And when is this coming out? Uh, this will probably be out in November. Oh, do you have any movies and film festivals then? Probably. But um, <laughs> I, I will say one thing, Evergreen, you can watch uh, Pandora on, yeah. the C- on the CW app. Uh, created by our producer, Mark Altman. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I, I got to direct an episode of the show. It's really fun. And uh, you, you can watch that any old time on Which CW. Which I didn't even know was happening when I first asked you to be on the podcast. Really? <laughs> so oh. everything is connected. You learn that in L.A. we all know each other. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you can find us uh, on Twitter at Never Made Film and on Instagram as just Best Movies Never Made. Uh, and speaking of Mr. Mark Altman, if you're a fan of our podcast, why don't you check out Electric Surge's other podcasts like the 430 Movie, hosted by Mark Altman, uh, every Friday in which a group of writers and producers curate fantasy theme weeks of classic movies and in glori- Glorious Trexperts, also hosted by Mark Altman, uh, the only podcast for Star Trek fans with a life, available every Saturday wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, also, very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge, including our producers Dean 
Devlin, and again, Mark Altman. He's what getting a, busy a lot of man. love on this. Busy. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, for, up until our most recent episode, um, he was uploading all our episodes. And I kept being <laughs> like, you're show yeah. running, show a, running t- a show. TV show. <laughs> you're flying to like Europe to uh, visit Bulgaria. the set. Bulgaria. <laughs> um, Although I will what, say, when Bria was in Bulgaria, she was uploading our show as that's well. That's true. So. I did upload <laughs> our podcast while I was in Bulgaria. Did nice. you do it on time? Uh, I was very close, if it not. Yeah. Well, it's 10 hours ahead. It was easy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, until next time, this is Stephen Scarlatta. And I am Josh Miller saying we won't see you at the movies. This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.